For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo again today to review all of our teams that were in action on Sunday. In part one, I'll review our match against Venezia. In part two, I'll review the Primavera match against Hellas Verona. And in part three, I'll review the Femenile match against Fiorentina. So let's begin with our match against Venezia. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about from this match, if I'm being honest. The match finished 2-0 in favor of Napoli. Victor Osimhen opened the scoring early in the second half. That was his first goal since recovering from multiple fractures to his cheekbone and orbital socket. Andrea Petania scored the second very late in the match. Giuseppe Pastore posted a great stat on this. He noted that Napoli's quickest and latest goals ever were both scored in Veneto. Chucky Lozano's goal last season at Hellas Verona was scored in 9.28 seconds, so that was the quickest goal in club history. And this goal by Petania was scored at 99 minutes and 7 seconds, so that was the latest goal in club history. We got the win, but it certainly wasn't easy. I thought Paolo Zanetti's side looked well-drilled and executed their plan well. It just did not go their way. Those were the -the on-the-field subjects we'll discuss in this review, along with revisiting our three keys to the match. There were also a couple of off-the-field incidents that we need to discuss as well, but first, let's review the starting lineups. Zanetti started a very different lineup than I was expecting. He lined up in a 4-3-3 with Luca Lazzarini starting over Sergio Romero in goal. Mattia Caldara and Piotr Ceccaroni started at centre-back. Reed Gaziano-Hap started at left-back and Tyrone Ebuehi started at right-back. 
I had Maximilian Ullmann at left back and Ethan Ampadu at right back. Instead, Ampadu played in the center of the midfield with Michael Cuisance to his left and Domin Chernigoy to his right. That meant Tanner Tessman was relegated to the bench. Nani made his first start for Venezia playing on the left wing. I had David Okereke playing on the left wing, but Zanetti played him at striker over Thomas Henry. Finally, Dennis Janssen started on the right wing over Mattia Ramu. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti made only one change compared to our predicted 11, and that was to start David Ospina over Alex Meret in goal. I have a few thoughts on that, but I'll come back to it a bit later. Juan Jesus and Emir Rachmani started together at centre-back. Mario Rui started at left-back, and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back. Stanislav Lobotka and Fabian Ruiz played in the double pivot. As expected, Lorenzo Insigne started from the first minute on the left wing and Matteo Politano started over the injured Chucky Lozano on the right wing. Finally, Victor Osimhen got his first start since suffering that gruesome face injury against Inter. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's revisit our three keys to the match. My first key to the match was that we had to use the weapons that were available to us and I specifically mentioned Insigne and Osimhen. Victor scored the game-winning goal, so I will say that we achieved this goal. I thought Victor had a really strong performance. You can see how hungry he is for goals. Every time he got the ball, he was looking to shoot. He had four shot attempts, which was more than any other player on the pitch. One of those shots hit the outside of the upright in the first half, and then obviously another one was the goal. So let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, this was a typical Napoli goal in the sense that we patiently built up the play. The move concluded with a gorgeous cross by Matteo Politano. In truth, I thought Politano had a rather poor match or certainly a rather poor first half, but he definitely made up for it with this cross. He placed it perfectly in between Caldara and Ebuahi. Finally, there was the finish from Osimen. Under normal circumstances, we would have described that as a quality finish. But Osimhen's circumstances have been anything but normal. This is a player who hadn't started a match in two and a half months. And this is a player who needed to have a metal plate fastened to his face with 16 screws to repair multiple fractures to his cheekbone and orbital socket. It takes a lot of courage to go up for a header after suffering an injury like that, but he did not seem to be phased at all. It was also nice to see Osimhen and Politano celebrate together. Some media were reporting that there was tension between the two of them. This was based on the fact that Osimhen was frustrated after Politano didn't pass to him, I believe, in the Salernitana match. Frankly, I think this story was entirely fabricated by the media. Yes, he was frustrated in the moment, but that stuff happens all the time. Unless a player feels like his teammate is intentionally not passing him the ball, they generally don't hold grudges after the match. Worst case, they hash it out in the locker room and everybody just moves on. Now, I did say in my preview that we would need the likes of Insigne, Politano, Zielinski, and Fabian to help create chances. Obviously, Politano assisted the goal, but other than that, those four players didn't actually create a whole lot. The stats for this match were a bit misleading. According to the final match report, we had 13 chances, which seems a bit generous to me, and we also had 16 shot attempts, six of which hit the target. Again, besides the two goals, I can't really think of the other four shots. I genuinely believe that if we did not have Osimhen for this match, it would have finished a nil-nil draw. That's not to say that we played poorly, I think we have to give Paolo Zanetti and his players some credit here. It seemed like Zanetti's plan was to press high in Napoli's half and then drop into a low block in the Venezia half. I was definitely surprised to see Venezia pressing so high and I don't think our players were expecting it either. 
As I said, Venezia looked really well drilled. Once we crossed midfield, they all dropped and put us at a numerical disadvantage, which then made it really difficult for us to create chances. My second key to the match was that we had to stay sharp at the back. We didn't concede a goal, so I'm going to say that we achieved this one as well. My main concern here was that our defenders would have very little to do defensively and that Venezia would look to strike on the counter, and that's basically how the match went. We had 67% possession, but Venezia had the best chance of the first half. David Ospina made a fantastic save to keep the match scoreless, and Lobotka made a really important clearance on the rebound as well. If he does not hustle back there, then Dennis Janssen taps in the rebound to put Venezia ahead. Other than that chance though, I thought Juan Jesus and Amir Rachmani had a fantastic match. Jesus was absolutely the steal of the summer by the way, but it was clear that Venezia's strategy in the attack was to play the long ball out to Okereke, and I thought Jesus and Rachmani did an admirable job of chasing down those balls. More often than not, it was just the two of them back there because Mario Rui and Di Lorenzo had to join in the attack to offset that numerical disadvantage. You could argue though that our sharpest player at the back was David Ospina, so that brings me to our third key to the match. Our third key to the match was that we needed to score at least two goals. We scored exactly two goals, so we did achieve this objective as well. Now you might ask, what does David Ospina have to do with scoring two goals? The answer is I thought Alex Meret was going to start in goal, and we know that Meret concedes on average a goal per match. So I was expecting us to concede a goal, which meant that we would need to score at least two goals to get the win. Instead, Spalletti started Ospina, which I think says a lot about our goalkeeper situation at the moment. Amid speculation that the club has chosen Meret to be the keeper of the future, Spalletti went with Ospina, who was on short rest no less. Ospina was in South America during the week for World Cup qualifying, so he didn't return to training with Napoli until the Friday, so he had only two training sessions before this match. Nevertheless, Ospina started and collected his 11th clean sheet of the campaign, which is remarkable. I tweeted this out, but Ospina has nearly as many clean sheets as he has goals conceded in 20 Serie A appearances this season. He's only conceded 14 goals. I spent a fair bit of time talking about Meret and Ospina in my preview, and one of the things I've highlighted is that Ospina seems the more likely of the two keepers to come up with that big save when you need it. I have to be honest. I'm not so sure Meret would make the save on Okereke in the first half that Ospina did, and the way the match was going, a goal there would have completely changed the complexion of the match. The save Ospina made on Chernigoy in the second half was decent as well. The shot didn't have enough power, but Ospina also made the save look easy because he was well positioned to make the save. With the clean sheet, we needed only one goal to win, but we got the second goal anyway. That was Patania's third goal of the campaign and fourth in all competitions. He also has four assists in all competitions, so he is playing his part this season. That goal actually started with a fantastic tackle by Stanislav Lobotka and Luca Fiordilino to start the break. Credit to Patania for giving the ball up, first of all, as a striker he could have gone for goal himself, and second, for continuing his run and finally putting the match away. So we achieved all three of our keys to the match, which was consistent with the final result. I have just two final thoughts before I wrap up this review. The first is a quick one regarding the red card on Abuehi. I was glad to see Mariani go to the monitor to review this play. It was clearly a red card offense, and in the end, they got the decision correct. This is an example of how VAR can improve the game. There was a clear and obvious error, and it was corrected. I've spent enough time on this podcast complaining about poor officiating, so it's only right that we recognize when the officials do a good job as well. 
VAR definitely improves the game when it's used in this way. I just don't like when it's taken too far, like with some of these handball calls and millimeter offside decisions. I mentioned some of the off-the-field stories. I'll start with the positive one. This anecdote was sent in from friend of the pod, Chris Sorensen, who was actually at the match live. He noticed that while Dries Mertens was warming up, he connected with one of the ball boys and the two of them started to play around a little bit. He said Cheeto was all smiles, even though this was still a tense moment during the match with the score still tied nil-nil. But I agree with Chris. I think Cheeto made a Napoli fan of that young man, or at the very least, in that very moment, Napoli became his second club. I thought that was a pretty cool story, and it seems very true to Merton's personality. When we had Gianluca on for Forza Napoli Worldwide, he talked about how great of a person Merton's is, and this is just another example of that. The last thing we need to address is sadly not so positive, and that's the discriminatory chants that were being hurled by Venezia fans towards Napoli. If you didn't hear it, they were chanting Vesuvio Lavalico Fuoco, which means Vesuvius wash them with fire. Normally when we hear discriminatory chants or racist chants, it's coming from one or two bad apples who give everyone a bad rep. That was definitely not the case here. This was an entire crowd of people hurling these insults. Now, I think we can all agree that this crap needs to stop. The question is, how far are we willing to go to make it stop? The reason I ask that is because we know the league isn't going to do anything about it. Typically with racial abuse, the club will try to identify the fan and the league will find the club, but the fines are too insignificant to make a difference. In this case, the club was not fined at all, and to my knowledge, the fans were not investigated. Now, there was a similar comment made on Twitter from a Venezia fan, and the club's official Twitter account responded simply with the words, unfollow me. That was a nice gesture and one that Napoli fans appreciated. I believe there was also an announcement on the PA system warning fans to stop, but I question whether that's enough. And I've said this before with respect to racial abuse, but the one way to make these so-called fans understand is to hit them where it hurts. That means banning fans, that means fines that will actually catch the attention of the club, and that means point deductions. If a club can be deducted points for financial irregularities or match-fixing, why couldn't a club be deducted points for racial discrimination? Now, I do recognize that this could open the door for some pretty cynical behavior, like hiring people to dress up as your opponent's fans and have them behave this way, thus causing your opponent to be deducted points. But the point I'm trying to make here is that until this is taken more seriously, it simply will not stop. What I would love to see is for the players to walk off the pitch, because that would definitely get people's attention. I suspect the players might have some reservations about doing that for fear of being handed a 3-0 loss on the table, while they have a rare opportunity to compete for the Scudetto. I can just imagine the drama if that were to happen, knowing that the league would insist on Napoli forfeiting the match, but this is well above football. In fact, it shouldn't just be the Napoli players to walk off the pitch, it should be the players of both clubs for a couple of reasons. First, it would be a great sign of solidarity between the players of opposing clubs, and second, if both clubs walked off, then in all likelihood the match would be rescheduled. Earlier this season, a Ligue 1 match between Lyon and Marseille was suspended after a Lyon fan threw a bottle of water at Dimitri Payet. In that case, the official instructed both teams to head back to the locker room and eventually the match was postponed. In France, the fans were hurling physical objects, while in Italy they were hurling discriminatory chants. A key difference, though, was the official in that Ligue 1 match actually did the sensible thing, whereas Maurizio Mariani did absolutely nothing. 
So if the league is not going to do anything, and if the officials are not going to do anything, then unfortunately, the only people who can actually make a difference are the players themselves. That will do for part one. In part two, we'll review our latest Primavera match. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our latest Primavera match, which was against Hellas Verona on Sunday. Hellas Verona came into this match sitting fourth from the bottom of the table. They were tied with Empoli and Lecce on 17 points, but Verona had the worst goal differential of the three at minus nine. The tiebreak is actually a head-to-head record, but until everyone's played each other twice, goal differential is used to determine the rankings. Like Spal, who we played midweek, Verona have really struggled of late. Prior to this match, they had won only one of their previous seven matches. They lost to Torino and Genoa before beating Sassuolo 1-0. Then they lost to Cagliari and Sampdoria, drew Atalanta, and lost to Bologna. Hellas Verona are coached by ex-Napoli midfielder Nicola Corrent. He made 29 appearances for Napoli back in 04-05 when Napoli were down in Serici. That was actually the first season of the De Laurentiis era. Napoli reached the final of the promotion playoff that year, but they lost to Avellino. Anyhow, Napoli came into this match having started the calendar year really well. We beat Genoa to start 2022, then we beat Spal midweek, so this was our third match in eight days, which doesn't happen all that often in the Primavera. Nicolo Frustalupi had a full squad at his disposal. That included Colisacco, who returned from suspension. So with that... Let's get to the starting lineups. Hellas Verona lined up in a 3-5-2 with Kaur Cavilla in goal. Davide Redondi, Bernardo Calabrese, and Filippo Terracciano played as the back three. Davide Briganti started at left wing back and Valerio Minocci started at right wing back. Christian Pierobon started in the center of the midfield with Ibrahima Sulemana to his left and Yoselito to his right. Finally, Filip Yeboa and David Flacus played as the two strikers. For Napoli, Frustalupi made only one change to the squad he fielded midweek against Spal. He also lined up in a 3-5-2 formation with Huberti Dasiak in goal. Benedetto Barba, Davide Costanzo, and Musa Mane lined up as the back three. Enrico Giannini started at left wing back and Matteo Marchisano started again at right wing back. Coli Sacco returned from suspension to start over Duccio Tocofondi in the center of the midfield. Alessandro Spavone started to his left and Antonio Vergara started to his right. Finally, Giuseppe D'Agostino and Antonio Vergara played as the two strikers. So those were the starting lineups, next let's get to the match. The first half was rather uneventful, I'd say we were looking like the stronger side for the first 20 minutes or so. In the 14th minute, D'Agostino won a free kick just outside the area, but trophy shot struck the wall. About 5 minutes later, D'Agostino played the ball out wide to Sacco and he played a dangerous ball into the area, 
but Verona cleared the danger. That was just about all of the attacking threats that we had in the first half, and after that, Hellas Verona started to take over. They were the more positive side, but they too didn't create many legitimate opportunities to score. Bragantini had a chance on the break around the half-hour mark, but he was unable to hit the target. Most of Verona's attacks in the first half were in transition. About five minutes before the break, Redondi played a long ball to Yeboah. He did well to get the shot off, but he caught too much of the goal, and Idasek made the save. Then two minutes later, Minochi played the ball out wide to Flacus. He cut into his right, but his shot was weak and Idasek stopped it comfortably. The best chance for either side came in the 42nd minute, and again it was a chance for Hellas Verona. The build-up to this chance was really well worked. Sulamana played the ball to Yebo at the edge of the area. He played it back to Piero Bon, who played a one-touch pass to Minochi. Minochi played the ball out wide to Sulamana, who had continued his run to the left wing. Sulemana picked up Bragantini with a low cross into the area, but he got under the ball and put his first-time shot from around the penalty spot well over the bar. So as you can see, there wasn't a whole lot to report from the first half. It was a competitive half, but neither side really came that close to scoring. The second half was definitely more entertaining. Unfortunately, that was because Verona opened the scoring only five minutes after the restart. The play started with Colisaco making a professional foul on Yeboah in the middle of the park. Sacco was cautioned for that tackle and he just returned from a yellow card suspension, so that's already six yellow cards on the season for him. The free kick was about 40 yards from goal. Bragantini played the ball into the area with his preferred left foot. Yeboah got low to win the header and glanced the ball into the bottom corner to put Verona ahead. That was exactly the wake-up call we needed because Napoli were pretty flat in that first half and from that point on, we completely dominated the play and nearly scored the equalizer only a minute later. Yoselito fouled Vergara on the right wing to set up a free kick near the touchline. Vergara took the free kick himself, playing an in-swinging cross with his left. Barba got ahead on the ball and beat Kavila, but somehow Redondi cleared the ball off the line. Now, personally, I think the ball crossed the line, and if we had goal line technology in the Primavera, I think this goal probably would have stood. The official was close to the action, but from the position he was in, it would have been difficult to gauge whether the ball actually crossed the line. In the end, it was not called a goal, and we remained down 1-0. Needing to score, Frustalupi replaced D'Agostino with his super sub Giuseppe Ambrosino. Almost immediately after coming on, Ambrosino did it again, scoring his ninth goal of the campaign. Now, technically, it was about 10 minutes after he came on, but there was about a 7-minute stoppage shortly after he came on. That's because Minocci appeared to injure his left knee. He had to be taken off on a stretcher, so hopefully he's okay. In terms of the goal, it started with an excellent tackle by Barba on Yeboah, who nearly had a chance on the break. Barba was actually very, very good in this match. Instead, Napoli broke the other way and scored. It was actually a well-worked goal. Barba played the ball out to Sacco, who switched the play to the left side of the field. A few passes later, Sacco got the ball back and switched it back to the right side to Marquisano. He ran at substitute Mattia Floria before playing a perfect ball into the area to Ambrosino. Ambrosino took one touch to control the ball, turned and fired into the bottom corner at the far post. So he is absolutely on fire now. He hasn't started in the last four matches and yet he has still scored four goals. I don't know any sites that track stats for the Primavera, but I'd bet that he has the best conversion rate in the league. It just seems like every shot he takes seems to find the back of the goal. So with about half an hour left to play, the score was all level at one. 
Verona responded well after the goal, though. In the 66th minute, Piero Bon played a long ball to Flacus on the right edge of the area. He cut into his left foot, but his shot was blocked by Giannini. The rebound fell to Florio, and he went for goal, but he just missed the far post. Verona came close again a few minutes later from a corner kick. Florio played an in-swinging cross from the right side, and another substitute, Jarensin Nebengue, got a free header. He connected well and headed the ball down into the ground, but it bounced up and over the bar. So within five minutes of Napoli drawing level, Verona had two quality chances to go back ahead. Both sides created chances after that, but nothing came of them. First, Marquisano had a shot from the right side, but it was stopped at the near post. Then Flacus had a chance on the break, but his first time hit sliced wide of the mark. Napoli really poured on the pressure in the final five minutes of normal time. First, Ambrosino played a give-and-go with Vergara at the edge of the area. Ambrosino went for goal and his shot seemed destined for the top corner, but at the very last second, the Bengue got his head on the ball and deflected it wide of the goal. Then on the ensuing corner kick, the ball bounced around in the area before falling for Barba at the top of the box, but he leaned back and his shot finished well over the bar. Finally, in the 87th minute, Ambrosino won a free kick on the right wing. Vergara crossed the ball into the area and substitute Dutro Tacofondi won the header, but it just missed the goal. Because of the injury to Minocci, we had 8 minutes of stoppage time. After Napoli dominated the final 5 minutes of normal time, Hellas Verona dominated the stoppage time. They were actually really unfortunate right at the start of stoppage time. Verona were on the break and Yeboa appeared to be clear on goal, but the official blew his whistle for a foul at midfield instead of playing the advantage. If I'm being honest, this official had a pretty forgettable match. Hellas got another chance in the 6th minute of stoppage time. Sacco cleared the low cross, but only to Calabresa at the edge of the area. He went for goal, but his shot finished just over the bar. So this was a back and forth affair that appeared to be heading for a draw, which I think would have been a fair result, but this was a match between Hellas Verona and Napoli, so it couldn't possibly end well for us. And of course, in the final minute of stoppage time, Verona were awarded a dubious penalty. Floria played the ball to Piero Bon in the area. He did well to outbattle Manet and dribble along the byline. Manet chased him down and appeared to make a clean tackle, but the official awarded the penalty. Now, the official did have a good view of the tackle, but the broadcast showed three different angles, and I genuinely did not see anything there. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Napoli fan, I always try to be as objective as possible on the show, but this looked like a 50-50 tackle. As an official, you have to be absolutely sure there is a foul to award a penalty in the 98th minute with the score all level. Even with a clear view, I just don't think there was enough in it to award the penalty, but he gave it and Calabresa made no mistake, smashing the ball straight down the middle of the goal. That was the final kick of the match which ended 2-1 in favor of Hellas Verona. With the loss, we dropped from 5th in the table, where we were tied with Sampdoria, Atalanta, and Sassuolo on 25 points, to 8th in the table, now tied with Genoa and Torino. That's because Genoa tied Milan 0-0 and Torino tied Lecce 1-1. Meanwhile, at the top of the table, both Roma and Inter lost. Roma lost 2-1 to Fiorentina, and Inter lost 3-2 to Sampdoria. As a result, Sampdoria joined Inter in 3rd on 28 points, Juve joined them as well with their draw to Spal. Meanwhile, Cagliari jumped up to second with their 2-1 victory over Pescara. They're now only 6 points back of Roma, though Roma still have a game in hand. Finally, Atalanta and Sassuolo drew 1-1, so they both moved 1 point ahead of us in the table. Now, in 8th place, we are currently outside of the playoff zone, but the table is so tight and has been all season that we're still within 3 points of 3rd place. 
For those of you who don't know, the Primavera Scudetto is not awarded to the team who finishes top of the table. Rather, the champion is determined by a playoff amongst the top six teams. The top two teams get a bye to the semifinals, while the third through sixth place teams play a round to determine who the other two semifinalists are. The Azzurini will be hoping to get back on track on Friday against Bologna, who currently sit third from the bottom of the table. That will do for part two. In part three, we'll review our latest Feminile match. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part three of the Fortsanopoli podcast. We'll close the pod with a review of our Feminile match on Sunday against Fiorentina. Fiorentina came into this match sitting 8th in the table, 6 points ahead of us. It was hard to gauge Fiorentina's form of late. On one hand, you could say that they had only won one of their previous 5 matches in all competitions. But on the other hand, you could say they only lost one of their previous 5 matches in all competitions. And some of those draws were actually quite positive. The one win was against Lazio in the Coppa Italia. Now Lazio are quite poor, so you would expect Fiorentina to win that match. And they only won it by a score of 1-0. The one loss was an absolute thrashing at the hands of Sassuolo to start the calendar year. Sassuolo put up six goals in Firenze to win that match 6-1. The other three results were draws, of course. The first was a 1-1 draw against a direct rival in Empoli, which was their final Serie A match of 2021. Then they tied Juventus 2-2, which was an incredible result. That ended Juve's win streak at 36 matches. Finally, they drew Empoli again, this time 0-0 in the first leg of their Coppa Italia quarterfinal. In January, Fiorentina bolstered their already potent attack, signing Valentina Giacinti on loan from Milan after she had a fallout with Milan manager Maurizio Gans. With the move, Giacinti reunited with Diana Sabatino, though they've actually played together for three different clubs. First, they played together at Brescia, then in 2018-19, Brescia's license was acquired by Milan, but the strike duo stayed with the club. That season, they were the second best attacking duo in all of Europe, scoring a combined 38 goals. The two have been prolific goal scorers wherever they've played, and both came into this match as top three goal scorers in the league. Sabatino was in second in the league with nine goals, and Giacinti was in third with eight goals, though in truth, most of Giacinti's goals were actually scored at Milan. Meanwhile, Napoli came into this match with a number of players not available. Evi Popedinova, Depichatsi Nicolaou, and Sedia Bramson were all out injured, while Romina Pina is still waiting to be registered. Paola Di Marino did travel with the team and was available on the bench if needed, but she was dealing with an ankle problem. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Fiorentina had three ex-Napoli players in their starting 11. They lined up in a 4-4-2 with ex-Napoli reserve keeper Sabrina Tasselli in goal. Alice Tortelli and Karia Kravets started at centre-back. Valerie Vigilucci started at left-back. And one of my favourite players from last season, Federica Cafarata, started at right-back. The third ex-Napoli player was Sara Huche. She started in the centre of the midfield alongside Veronica Boquette. Claudia Neto played on the left side of the midfield and Marta Mascarello played on the right side. 
Finally, that strike duo of Sabatini and Giacinti that we talked about started together up top. For Napoli, Giulia Domenichetti and Roberto Castorina made quite a few changes to the squad that they fielded against Roma. They lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Raquel Baldi getting her second consecutive start in goal. Emily Garnier started over the injured Abramson at centre-back alongside Lana Golob. Maria Wona continued to start at left-back, while Hedden Corrado started over Di Marino at right-back. Emma Erico got her first start since returning to Napoli. She started over Emma Severini in the double pivot alongside Claudia Mauri. That freed Severini to start on the right wing over Ariana Acuti. With Popedinova injured, Sofia Colombo moved over to the left wing and Sara Tui started in the number 10. That meant that Eleonora Goldoni started on the bench for the third consecutive match. I don't know what that's all about because Goldoni is one of our strongest players and she was captain for the first half of the season. So that makes me very concerned about Goldoni's future at Napoli. Finally, Sola James started at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. Before the match, the two sides shared a moment of silence in memory of Torres player Alessia Sana, who sadly passed away on January 19th. Now, Fiorentina got the first chance of the match only five minutes in. Vigilucci played a long ball over the top to Boquette. She got behind Garnier, but shot straight into the arms of Baldi. Napoli came back the other way and created a chance for Colombo in the 16th minute, but Tasselli made the easy save. Five minutes later, Fiorentina got their second chance of the match. Vigilucci played an in-swinging cross from the left wing, but Giacinti got under the ball, and her header finished well over the bar. From that point, Fiorentina really began to take over the match. They came close to scoring around the half-hour mark from a free kick. Boquette played an in-swinging cross from the right side, and Garnier did a poor job of clearing the ball. The ball fell for Mascarello at the penalty spot, and she put her shot well over the bar. From that spot on the pitch, you at least have to hit the target. That was a really disappointing effort for Fiorentina fans. From that place on the pitch, she should have at least hit the target. Mascarello had another chance two minutes later after Houche crossed the ball from the right wing. She too got under the ball with their header, and Baldi made the easy catch. So Fiorentina looked like the more threatening side in the first half, but neither team really created any real opportunities to score. The second half couldn't have started any better for Napoli. We won a free kick just inside the Fiorentina half, which Tognolo played into the area. Tortelli was first to the ball and headed out to Boquette, but Saratui won it back at the edge of the Fiorentina area. Severini tried to pop the ball over Vigilucci in the area, but she got ahead on the ball. But Tui followed up on the play and won it back again. She took a quick touch with her head and then volleyed the ball, which I think was supposed to be a cross, but instead she ended up lobbing it straight over Tesselli and into the back of the goal. This was really poor goalkeeping from Tesselli. I think she was just not positioned well for the cross but we'll take goals any way we can get them. So only minutes into the second half, we had a precious 1-0 lead. Fiorentina came close to equalizing in the 53rd minute from another free kick. This time Mascarello went direct for goal, but her shot bent just wide of the upright. Fiorentina came close again in the 59th minute. Boquette slipped a pass through to Cafrata on the right wing. She did really well sliding to cross the ball just before it crossed the byline. The cross was accurate as well, picking out Houche at the near post, but she didn't get the angle right on her header and she missed the target. Fiorentina were definitely looking like the more likely side to score, but in the 69th minute we managed to double the advantage against the run of play. We won a free kick near the touchline just inside the Fiorentina half, 
Severini crossed the ball into the area and somehow Tui and Sole were left unmarked in the area. Tui missed the header but Sole was able to react quickly and head the ball into the bottom corner. That was her first goal since she joined Napoli this summer. She also happened to be wearing the captain's armband for this match with Di Marino nursing that ankle injury and Goldoni on the bench so that was a nice reward for Sole. She spoke about the goal after the match and how it was the result of many sacrifices but like a good captain she noted that it doesn't matter who scores. Now Fiorentina had their best opportunity of the match with 10 minutes left to play. Giacinti played the ball to Vigilucci overlapping on the left wing. She played a gorgeous cross into the area for substitutes Karin Lundin but her powerful header just missed the bottom corner. That was the final opportunity to score for either side so this match ended 2-0 in favor of Napoli. Special shout out to Raquel Baldi for the second match in a row I thought she played really really well. By my count, she made 7 interceptions in this match, 6 catches and 1 punch. She's a brave keeper and she has very sure hands, so it's no surprise to me that she has immediately become the starting goalkeeper since joining Napoli. This was a huge result for us. With the win, we pulled within 3 points of Fiorentina. We've now won both fixtures against Fiorentina, so we also own the head-to-head record. Elsewhere in the league, the top 5 teams in the table all won their respective matches. That includes Inter who beat Empoli 3-2, ex-Napoli player Izotanoki scored a very late goal for Empoli in that one but it wasn't enough. With Empoli losing, we pulled within one point of them and we have yet to play our return fixture against them so now our fate rests in our own hands. Juventus beat Hellas Verona 1-0 despite playing the final 25 minutes short a player. Roma and Sassuolo remain tied for second on 34 points with their wins over Pomigliano and Sampdoria respectively. So we're now 5 points behind Pomigliano, so they're within striking distance as well. Finally, Milan came from behind to defeat Lazio 3-1. So things are looking up for the Femminile, we have a week off, and then we play relegation-bound Hellas Verona on the 26th of February. Hellas have only 1 point on the entire season, so you would expect us to win this match, even though that 1 point was earned against us. Meanwhile, Empoli play Juventus next, so we could well find ourselves outside of the relegation zone in a few weeks' time. So that will do for this review. That will also do for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, or you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I'll be back very soon to preview our massive match at the weekend against Inter. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.